Well, I'll invite Twyla to come up next and offer our reading this morning from Matthew chapter 6, verse 5 to, to 15. And that'll be on the screen, but if you want to, to look that up in your own Bible or those under the seats, you, you go right ahead. Matthew 5, or 6, sorry, Matthew 6, starting at verse 5. And when you pray, do not pray like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in the secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Thank you. Well, an American Christian author and speaker named Sky Jatani was once invited to speak at this large trade show, uh, and it was put on by these suppliers of equipment like, like stage lighting and sound systems and, and fog machines and big theatrical products. And they asked, told him they wanted him to, to put on a talk for a bunch of ministry leaders called The Future of Ministry and discuss trends and research related to young adults and how churches might engage them better. And as part of his talk, he mentioned the survey of younger adults that had been, where they'd been asked, what has most help you, helped you grow in your faith? What, what has most helped you grow in your faith? And he told them that the, the very top answer, the number one answer that had, been, had come from these these younger adults, was prayer. And as he tells the story, there was an audible gasp in the room when he told them that that was the answer. And sensing their surprise, he went off script a little bit, and he asked the ministry leaders in the room, he said, do you know what's great about prayer? It's very affordable. And that got a laugh from his crowd, but the conference director was not, not at all happy about that, because he'd been hoping for a presentation that would help vendors sell equipment to make bigger and better church experiences. And Sky Jatani says he has not been invited to speak at that conference again. Now, this, this story comes out of his book, What If Jesus Was Serious About Prayer?, which supplies a couple other nuggets in today's message as well. And I'm sure there'll also always be a place for bigger and better church experiences. But one of the changes that I think is happening in the Western church is that Upcoming generations are not as impressed by this kind of thing or by the massive expense required to do it. 
Instead, there is this growing desire for guidance in pursuing a simpler and more authentic life the other six and a half days of the week. How can you sustain and grow your faith in this fast-paced and demanding world? What kinds of things should a person do in order to deepen a true relationship with God? These are, are questions that matter. They're the right questions to be asking, and fog machines are not a very important part of the answer, certainly not compared to prayer. So here at Faith Baptist, we're entering the fall with some plans to try to encourage three priorities as part of our, our Mission Edge Church vision statement, which is connecting to God, connecting to one another, and connecting to our community. And so for the next few Sundays, we'll go with that emphasis of connecting to God and look at some of the simple and powerful practices that help us in doing that. And my focus today is going to be exploring two important things we can learn from Jesus about prayer. And if you have ever struggled with prayer because you can't seem to remember to take time for it, or you don't know what to say when you get going, or you don't feel like you're worthy to ask God for things, or it doesn't feel like your prayers are maybe getting results that you can see, today I want to say, first of all, that you're not alone in that. And second of all, that your struggle might come from not really praying Jesus' way. Changing how you understand and practice prayer could make a world of difference in your life and journey of faith. So the two things that I think we could stand to learn or maybe just remind ourselves of about the way Jesus prayed are these. First of all, that prayer has more to do with who we're praying to than how we pray. And second, that prayer is more about communion than communication. So we'll draw a few things out of those ideas. I want to start with that importance of how we understand the God we pray to. Because Jesus' disciples, on at least one occasion, maybe a couple different times, asked him to teach them to pray. And that, that should stand out to us because it's not like these devout Jewish men had not been taught to pray. They prayed multiple times a day. They listened to the prayers of their priests and teachers regularly. But they saw that Jesus prayed differently. Religious leaders in Jesus' day, they normally prayed by reciting kind of these long, formal prayers in Hebrew. But Jesus, he prayed in the more common dialect, Aramaic, to help more people understand what he was saying. He, his prayers used more casual and intimate language. They didn't lack respect for God, but Jesus prayed in a much more personal way. And what's, what we often call the Lord's Prayer, which was part of the, the passage from Matthew 6 that Twyla just read for us, it shows this from the very beginning because it, it starts with our Father. And Jesus used the word Abba here, which in that time and still today in Hebrew families is the word that children will often use to speak to their fathers. It's, it is used the, the way that we use the word daddy in English. It's a term of intimacy and warmth. They're, they're not exactly the same word because we kind of stop using daddy as we grow up, whereas Abba continues to be used as a term of respect and obedience by older children, even adult children in, in that culture. But there's still, it still carries with it you know, that, that sense of, of intimacy and desire to, to know and connect. Some people prefer actually to call the Lord's Prayer the Our Father Prayer because of how important that beginning is, because that's who we're speaking to, our Father, not just our, our Lord. And so when Jesus said, here's how you should pray, our Father, this was a very significant thing. Who you understand God to, God to be is fundamental to how you pray. 
Because if you see God as some impersonal power in the universe, then, well, then you might think, well, I'll just recite some, spiritual, you know, some ritual prayers and hopefully that'll be enough to keep this faraway God, on, you know, stay on his good side. And if you see God as some kind of cosmic vending machine, then your prayers may sound like bargaining sessions. Like, God, here's, here's what I'm willing to do if you'll give me this thing that I want. And sadly, some people have images of God as harsh judge itching to dole out punishment or a taskmaster who insists that you constantly work harder and do better. These ideas of God, which are often given to people as kids, they can shape or, or misshape our approach to prayer. Jesus taught us to pray to God as a Father who is close and intimate, but who is also holy and glorious, our Father in heaven one who is great and mighty, but also full of compassion and love for his children. And in Matthew 6, the Our Father prayer says something about how God is prepared to care for us as our Heavenly Father. It's about providing for our needs, forgiving us, giving us the strength <clears throat> to face life's challenges and temptations. But that's not all we know about who God is that might help us in prayer. There's one other, <clears throat> excuse me, important passage where Jesus teaches us about prayer, and that's Luke chapter 11. And he gave a little story that he wanted to use to help people understand what praying to God is like. And Jesus said, suppose you have a friend, and you go to him at midnight, and you say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked. My children are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. Now, this is an easy teaching to misunderstand because it makes it sound like the friend, who kind of represents God here, does not want to help us, but will eventually, if we annoy him enough, give us what we ask for. But what we need to know is that in that culture, to fail to meet the basic need of an unexpected visitor would bring shame on you. Like, people would hear about it. It would seriously tarnish your reputation. And so, no, no one was going to risk that. Whether they liked you or not, they were going to get up and they were going to give you what you were asking for. But the, the underlying point Jesus is making is that, look, God, God does not respond to you based on how well you pray or how good or righteous you are or how convenient your request is, but simply because of who God is. Right? God's not going to let His reputation be tarnished. He's not going to be any less than the perfect father that he is. And if a human can be moved to do something they don't want to do for the sake of their reputation, then our heavenly father will certainly respond no matter how clumsily we come to him on account of who he is. And that's why Jesus continues this teaching by saying, so I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For anyone who asks, receives, and the one who seeks, finds, and the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of your fathers, he asks, which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? And if you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Right? So Jesus assures us that God hears and responds and says, that, look, if, if human fathers with all their flaws and sinfulness are moved to give good gifts to their children, then how much more will our perfect Father in heaven respond to us? 
And so I've been trying to get across that our view of who we're praying to is actually more important than what we pray for. Our Father in heaven. He is near and cares for us. He hears and responds not because we earn His attention with our skillful prayers or even our good behavior, but because of God's grace that causes Him to descend to our level and enter into relationship with us. Now, relationship's an important word there because that's where I want to jump into the second aspect of prayer that I think Jesus can teach us, which is that prayer Jesus' way has more to do with communion than communication. In Matthew 6, Jesus told His listeners not to babble on and on in prayer with all these words because He says, your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. And it's not that we shouldn't ask for things. We're encouraged to make requests of God in prayer. But we don't need to spend a ton of time on those requests as if we could convince God with more words or a better explanation or a stronger argument for why we need something. God knows because He knows us perfectly. I mean, if I were trying to explain why I had a particularly tough day to a perfect stranger, that could take a while because I would need them to understand what had happened and why that thing had affected me in a particular way. I mean, if they don't know me, they may hear about this experience and even think, well, that's, that's not a big deal. Like, that wouldn't have bothered me that much. And so it could, it could be a while to come to an understanding of what I was talking about. But if I come home and tell my wife Amy about a hard thing that's happened, it doesn't take a long explanation. As soon as I tell her what's happened, she'll understand why it affected me because she knows me. When you know someone well and trust them, you can be simple and direct and honest in your communication. And you don't even need words at times. You can just be present with them. Jesus prayed with words that were recorded for our benefit, and He taught prayers like the Our Father to help us know some of the things that we might want to say to God. But we also see that Jesus' prayers were often very short and simple and to the point. We see that Jesus regularly went out into the wilderness to pray, often, I think, to simply be present to His Father. I see, in many ways, more communion than communication in the way Jesus approached our Heavenly Father. Because prayer is not about trying to control God and get what we want, or to get all the mysteries of life revealed to us somehow. Prayer is not therapy, or stress relief, or, or mindfulness. Prayer is about connecting to God. It's about communion. And there's good news and there's bad news about that, depending on how you look at it. What we could call the bad news is that we can't simply get away with making prayer this ritual or religious task. And the bad news is, of course, that that's much simpler. That's where some people's comfort zone is. If I, if I do this thing, I did a good job, check mark, end of story. I mean, I think it is good to memorize and recite the Our Father at times. I'm sending you home with prayer bookmarks, if you'll take one, that has a, a set prayer that you could do as much as you want this week. So I'm not knocking, memorizing, or reciting. But there is an irony to the church adopting the Lord's Prayer as something that we recite regularly because that doesn't seem to be what Jesus wanted when He taught it. Jesus didn't say, here's what you should pray. He said, here is how you should pray. Jesus was trying to get His followers out of the habit of lifelessly reciting formal prayers and into the habit of approaching their Heavenly Father in a way that was simple and personal. That's what's modeled in the Our Father, right? If we break it down, it's just saying, Father in heaven, like recognizing who you're praying to, help me do your will, 
Provide for my basic needs. Forgive me for the ways I've messed up. Help me forgive the other people who've wronged me. And give me the strength to resist temptation. It's simple. It's direct. And it's ready to be filled in with maybe some honest details and examples of what you are going through and where you've been going wrong, perhaps. So the quote-unquote bad news is that about seeing prayer as communion is that you can't just rely on religiously reciting words often enough to somehow please God. But the, the good news is that you also don't need to know the words to pray, and you don't necessarily need words at all. Communication requires words. Communion does not. Communion requires presence. It is enough at times to simply try to be aware that God is there, to remember that you want to know and serve Him. In 1 Thessalonians 5.17, the Bible says, pray continually or pray without ceasing in some translations. And if that meant we were supposed to keep a constant stream of conversation with God out louder in our heads, I mean, I know I couldn't do it. I think just about anyone would go crazy trying to do that. But I understand this instruction not to mean that we should seek to live our lives in constant communication, but with an ongoing awareness of God and openness to God. Sometimes we mistakenly think that there are sacred times and activities and there are non-sacred ones, right? Church is a sacred time. So you come and you're, you're, you, know, you're, you try to you know, have the, the right demeanor for sacredness and we pray and we, we praise and we learn about God and maybe we try to also carve out a special quiet time in the day to get out your Bible, your devotional book, have, have prayer time, putting a little bit of sacred into the otherwise non-sacred day. And again, a quiet time, a devotional time, wonderful thing. But the whole concept of sacred and non-sacred times and places is just wrong. God is not absent from your commute and your work and your errands and your chores and your conversations. There are no non-sacred times as an active follower of Jesus. And so it's helpful for us to think of prayer as a way of inviting God into these other times, seeking to be aware of how God is at work all the time. One of the most uh, respected teachers about prayer and spiritual disciplines of the last generation was Dallas Willard. And he had this to say about how prayer fits into our lives. And it starts in a way some people might not expect. Because he says, don't seek to develop a prayer life. <laughs> don't seek to develop a prayer life. Seek a praying life. A prayer life, he says, is a, is a segmented time for prayer. You'll end up feeling guilty that you don't spend more time in prayer. Eventually, you'll probably feel defeated and give up. A praying life is a life that is saturated with prayerfulness. You seek to do all that you do with the Lord. And what Willard and what other wise teachers are getting at, I think, is what we see, I believe, also modeled by Jesus in the Gospels, that prayer can be something that helps us go through all of life with an awareness of God's presence with us. And I wouldn't personally put a Jesus is my co-pilot bumper sticker on my car, but you know, that, that is the right idea, in a sense, that a vibrant spiritual life is one where I co-labor with God. Wake up in the morning and remember that God is with you this day. Invite Him into your day as you have that shower in the morning. Tell Him what you're worried about facing as you walk out the door. Invite His wisdom and compassion before you make that awkward phone call or go into that tricky meeting. 
Remember the depth of God's grace for you when someone annoys or wrongs you. Give thanks to God regularly for His provision, for the good that you see Him doing around you. And you don't have to stop and say, Dear God, thank you for the following. Just notice what you have to be grateful for and direct that sense of gratitude to God. Your Heavenly Father, who cherishes you, who desires your good, who can be trusted. It used to be popular, at least when I was like youth group age once upon a time, for Christians to say that our faith is a relationship, not a religion. <laughs> I can't say it with a straight face because it became such a cliche, but there is, there is a, actually a really important core of truth to that one that we should not lose. Being a Christian is not rooted in joining a religious or political tribe. It's not rooted in adopting a certain set of moral values. It's rooted in loving Jesus and giving our lives to Him in faithfulness. And so the way Jesus showed us to live is in an ongoing relationship with God, not dead religious practices. Without prayer, without prayer, Jesus' way, that is simply not possible. Or as Jesus put it in Matthew chapter 19, with man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. Why don't we end in prayer? Our Heavenly Father, thank you for your love and care for us. Be with people feeling the stresses and strains of this week, teachers, parents, kids, any who are sick or in pain, those feeling grief or loss. Help those who are struggling with basic necessities and inspire us toward generosity with all that you've given us. Forgive us for the ways that we have fallen short and help us to forgive people who've sinned against us. Give us strength for whatever we'll face this week. Help us to make wise choices and to love as Jesus did. And now, in this quiet moment, we'll share, hear these prayers that may be on some of our minds, or should we simply choose to listen, be present to us. In the name of Jesus, our Lord and friend, I pray. Amen.